Let's be praying for the Super Bowl specifically. Um, the Chiefs lose. Uh, Pastor Justin's going to have to go on bereavement leave, and I don't know if we can afford that here at the church. And so um, they, we need them to win just so he can still be productive in ministry, I think. Um, we are, so we're in the second week of our conversation entitled The, um, the Sacrificial Life. Grace is a, it's an amazing thing. Like if you don't know, ask me after church, I will tell you how amazing it is. Like it's, it's maybe the best thing. The thing about grace, because of its abundance and because it's free, is, is at least in my life, I have a tendency to get really comfortable in it. I sit back and, and I receive, and receive, and we're supposed to do that. But when you get comfortable being comfortable, I think sometimes you miss some of the things that God wants to do in your life. Let me rephrase that. Sometimes I miss some of the things that God wants to do in my life. And so I think he's calling us to, to step outside of our comfort zone in the abundance of grace that we have and to embody what Paul directed us to be a living sacrifice, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And if we do that, we're transformed from the inside out. And when we're transformed from the inside out, you're going to find the blessings that, that God so desperately wants to give us, like they come in the moment that we're able to or willing to lay down our lives sacrificially for him. Like that's when God does his best work with us. And so, so we are called individually and collectively to be a living sacrifice. And so for three weeks, we're, we're just, we're talking about it. And I said last week that uh, in order to do this, in order to have this conversation about living sacrificially, uh, some parts of it are going to be difficult. Like, not bad, but difficult. And I think today has the potential to be one of those, one of those messages. Because you can't talk about sacrificial living without at least acknowledging sacrificial giving. I had in my notes to pause and wait for people to leave. So this is awesome. Like, we're already ahead of the game. So uh, I, want, I just want to talk today about, about giving. And I get it. Like, this is something that, like, I— <laughs> these sermons are tough. And, and believe it or not, like, like, I have been on the other side of, of the, the pulpit. I have sat in that seat more than I have been up here preaching this message. I have sat through countless countless tithing, tithing sermons. I've heard them all. Like, I've heard the version of the sermon that says, hey, it's God's money, so you have to give it back to him, so you need to just go ahead and do it. I've heard the versions of the story that, that, the, that say, if you just give God your 10%, he will bless and multiply your 90% more than you can imagine. I've heard those sermons. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with those. Is it God's money? Sure. Will God bless me? If I give sacrificially to him, absolutely. My beef isn't so much with what those sermons say as it is with what they don't say. And so that's going to be our conversation today. 
And so let me, let me set the stage here really quick. I, I just want to kind of uh, put all the cards out on the table so that we have all the information so that we begin to process through what God's word has to say together. There is, there is something very logistically important about people giving to the church. So I'm, let's just talk about it, and then we're going to move on. Like we are, um, the only way we can operate as a church is through the generosity of the body. Like, we can't sell tickets. Uh, we have nothing to do to generate revenue from a business side. And so, so we, we depend on the do- donations and generosity of others to be able to do what God is calling us to do. Light bills need to be paid. Curriculum needs to be bought. Like, like there are things about this that just cost money. And, and so, so that's where we collectively get to do this thing together, right? But if that's the only reason that you're giving, if you're just giving to keep the lights on, to buy the curriculum, to, to, to put carpet in the church, whatever it is, then, then, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I need you to know as we move into this, and, and this, this may come as a surprise to you, um, but, but I have chosen to remove myself from the micro level of our giving. So, so let me explain what that means. Like, I, I know numbers as far as whole numbers and, and weekly numbers and monthly numbers. I know where we stack up to against budget. But as far as the transactions that are made, I keep myself removed from that. And I've asked our pastoral staff to do the same. Uh, we don't know who gives and how much they give. And we do that very intentionally uh, because we feel uh, that, that, that we're going to preach God's word. And we don't, while we definitely want to disciple you, we don't want that to ever impact how we disciple or what we say when we say it. And so uh, I have, as a personal preference, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, because there are other pastors that, that very much are in the weeds of that, and I think they're incredible men and women of God who, who lead, but, but for me personally, it's best if, if we just step back. Now, there are people on the team that absolutely know um, the transactions, but, but as far as myself and the rest of the pastoral staff, we are removed. And so I can sit here today and, and simply just preach God's word. And I don't want you to think that I'm uh, preaching directly at you because of how much you give or how little you give. Like, I, I genuinely have, have no idea. And so that's, that's the first thing. And with that comes a promise that because I'm not involved in the transactional side of this, I will never come to you and specifically ask you to give more because of what you have given in the past. Like, I, I won't do that. I, again, I'll, I'll teach God's word, and I will preach it. And if, if you want to have a conversation with me about it, I'm here for it. But, but, but I, I never want this to be guilt-driven. I never want you to think, well, Pastor Aaron, the only thing he cares about, all he wants about from us is us to, to, to give our money to the church. And that's, that's not my heart. And this is a protection that we put in place to make sure that is how we operate. So, with that... Let's jump into what it means to give sacrificially. Like, like, why do we give? Where does it come from? Like, is it just an arbitrary thing that we're supposed to do? Or is it something that God's word teaches us to do? And so the, the, the first place that we hear, that we read about a tithe being given is very early on in the book of Genesis. And so Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20, uh, Abram, or Abraham, just finishes a battle. And this is what the text says. After Abram returned from defeating Ketolomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. 
This is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into, into your hand. Then Abram gave a tenth of everything. A tenth of everything is where we get the term tithe. Tithe means tenth. Abraham gave a tenth of everything that he had received from God through this battle back to the priest. We find out later on in the book of Chronicles as, as, as God is establishing his law with his people, he actually designed the giving and sacrificial system for, for, for very logistical and, and intentional purposes. Second Chronicles 31, 4 through 5, he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priest and Levites so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe, of everything. So God establishes his rule uh, of tithing, giving to the church, because again, he never intended for the church to charge admissions. That's not how he intended this to be. He said, hey, I'm going to designate this specific tribe in Israel, the Levites, to be able to minister to you, and to, for them to do that, I'm not going to give them the inheritance that the rest of you are going to get, and so you're going to need to give back to the church, to give to the ministry, to give to the temple a tenth of everything that you have. So that's where it comes from. Here's the deal, though. And churches don't talk about this enough. If you give simply out of obligation, because it's, it's what, what you feel you're obligated to do, it doesn't work. If you give out of fear doesn't work. If you give out of habit, and only habit, it doesn't work. If you give out of a pride, or even if you give out of your abundance, it doesn't work. So the reality of this, and how God designed it, is this idea of giving back to the church, and giving to God, making an offering, giving a tithe, was never ever about the offering. God, God doesn't need the sacrifice. God doesn't need the, the, the lamb that was slaughtered at the altar. God doesn't need the, the grain that, that was poured out at the altar. He doesn't need the, the wine that was offered. He doesn't, he doesn't need the money that was, that was put there in the temple. He doesn't need it because he's God. He's not constrained to, or constrained to any sort of currency. He doesn't need it. But he commands it. Why? Well, it's because God's focus has always been, not on the offering, on the offerer. So let me, let me explain. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 4. We're early on in creation. Adam and Eve are created. Uh, the fall of man happens, and then they, Adam and Eve, begin to procreate the world to be fruitful and multiply just as God had commanded them to do. 
And we're going we're gonna to see here that the first thing that Adam and Eve's descendants do, the first thing they're recorded doing, is that they're going to make an offering. Now, watch this. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So Cain was the oldest. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. She later gave birth to his brother Abel. So we, Sunday school stories, right? We, we've all heard of Cain and Abel. We know how the story ends. It doesn't end well. But here um, in the text, they're born. And it says, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. So Abel was a rancher, the younger. Cain was the farmer. They had two specific jobs. Next slide. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor at Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And so we have this picture, this example of two men giving an offering to God. We don't know a ton about what they offered. We know that they just simply took what they produced from their jobs, from their roles, from their careers, and they gave it to God. And, and so, so Abel gave from his flock. Cain gave from his crop. That's all we know. So we don't know—God rejects one, receives one. Why? What does he do? What is it that, that Cain gives to God that God's like, nope, that's not for me? Like, like, we can only speculate. Perhaps Cain gave, like, just, like, really disgusting vegetables, like Brussels sprouts and raw tomatoes, and God's like, nope, that's not for me. Maybe it was because Abel actually uh, had to slaughter a lamb, and, and, and blood was poured out, and we learn later on in the text that blood is actually extremely important to the sacrificial and offering system. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. But if you notice, there's, there's really one thing that differs in this text, one thing that differs or differentiates the offerings. Over the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the, it's important, firstborn of his flock. So, so it says that Cain brought some, Abel brought what was first. Cain brought what was left, potentially. Cain brought what was left over. Cain, Cain went through everything that needed to be done, right? You, you pay the bills, you pay the mortgage, you keep the lights on. He's like, okay, God, here's what I have left. It's, it, it's awesome, this is great. Thanks for providing it. This is what I'm gonna give to you. That's what Cain gave to God. And Abel says, you know what, I'm gonna do it a little bit differently. Here is the first fruits of my flock. Cain gave what was left. Abel gave what was first. God rejected what was left, and he accepted what was first. Church, it has never, ever, ever been about the gift. Even from the beginning. Right? As far as we know, they brought things of equal value based on what they had been given. Like, there's no, it's not like that, hey, Abel brought more, and Cain brought less. We don't know that in the text. We simply know that what Abel brought was from his first fruits. It's never been about the gift. God's priority has always been about the heart of the giver. That's why we give back. 
That, that's why we, we offer to God. That's why we give a tithe. That's why we, 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 we lay down our offering because whether you realize it or not, it indicates where your heart sits. How you give is so much more important than what you give because how you give indicates where your heart prioritizes God, whether you realize it or not. God rejected one offering. He accepted the other. And I believe the text suggests it had everything to do, not with what, but with how. So when, when, when you give an offering, when you lay something down, when you take of what you have and you give it to God, you are answering the question, where do I rank God in my life? Who, who's first? in my life. Every time we give, whether you realize it or not, that's the question you're answering. Now, if you're like me and you hear this, you're thinking, you know what? That, that's not true for me. Like, there was a time in my life when Courtney and I, very early on in our marriage, like, we did not, like, we didn't have anything. Well, I think the term is, like, we didn't have a pot to pee in. Is that appropriate to say? Right? <laughs> is that okay? Like, like that's kind of where we were. Like, we, we just, like, we were, we were scraping by. Not sure how we were going to keep the lights on, pay the bills, pay the babysitter. Like, it, it was tough. And so there were months where we, we made decisions not to give to God first. And I am ashamed to admit it. Like, we struggled with that. And I would, I would justify, and I would say, you know what, this does not mean, this doesn't indicate, God, that you're not first in my life. You just have to trust me on it. But as I look back at how I was living and the decisions that I made, I, I was wrong. Like, every time I put something above God, every time I put something before my gift, my author, offering, my tithe, I was telling God, hey, I, I love you, and I want you to be a part of my life just not first. I don't give Jesus enough credit at times for how well he gets me and how well he gets us. Like I should, because he's the savior of the world. But, but like I, I jump into texts and I read things that he says and I'm like, oh, you get me more than I realize. He said in the book of Mark, he, or Matthew, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He, he gets us. He knows. He knows that one of the most important things that we have on earth is money. That provides security. It provides, it provides stability. Like, like, we have to have it. There's no way to live without it. And he knows that. And he says, so how you use that treasure will always indicate where your heart is. It's never been about the gift it's never been about the gift. It is always, since the very beginning, the very beginning of this has been about the heart of the giver. He illustrates that maybe better anywhere in Scripture in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 12 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts of money. I'm going to pause here because I'm, I'm entirely confident that the priests and the people who were overseeing it were like, yes, praise God, this is awesome, Right? And Jesus is watching that. And you would think as people come and they give more and more and more, they, they, they dump down large amounts of money, wheelbarrows of cash, buckets of coins, right? Like that, that would be like Jesus would, would be impressed. 
He'd be like, yes, that's someone who cares about the kingdom. That's someone who gets it. That's not what happens. He says, a, a poor widow, can we go back, sorry. A poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. A fraction of the amount that everyone else, the rich people, had been dumping in the treasury. And so he calls his disciples. It's a teaching moment. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. <laughs> they all gave out of their wealth. But she gave out of her poverty. Put everything, all she had to live on. See, the, the, the rich people, the people who put large amounts that I'm entirely certain God was going to use to change the kingdom, Right? They didn't put as much in as the widow who just put sense in. Why? Because it's never been about the gift. So the reality is, is that God, I am confident the more I read this, the more I study text, is that God's not interested in my abundance. That's not what he wants from me. The thing that God desires more than anything else is my faithfulness. Like, that's what he calls me to. And it's a really easy thing for me to give out of my abundance. Like, like if, if I have just, just stacks of cash around me, and I pay my mortgage, and I pay my light bill, and I buy the things from Amazon that I want, and I go to Sportsman's and I buy the gun that I've been saving for, and I buy all of those things, and I look and I'm like, man, I still have money left over. I'm gonna give that to the church. It's not that God won't use that gift, but that's not how he intended it to be. He doesn't need my abundance. What he desires for me is my faithfulness. It's really easy to give out of abundance. It is extremely difficult to give out of faithfulness. Because when you give out of faithfulness and you give to God first, you get real vulnerable. You step into a place of uncertainty and unknown. When you give out of abundance, like you, you're charitable, and that's a good thing. When you give out of abundance, you're, you're generous, that's a good thing. But God, God, I think while he appreciates my generosity, and while he appreciates your charity, the thing he wants more than anything else is your faithfulness. Because when you're willing to step out in faithfulness, all of a sudden he's going to be able to do in and through you what otherwise is impossible but you got to put him first. You got to be willing to be vulnerable. You got to be okay with the unknown and the uncertainty. You have to be willing to strip the layers of protection that giving in abundance gives you. Like if I if I give at the beginning of the month, at the beginning of the pay period without any idea what's going to happen, well, then I'm stepping out in faith. I'm saying, okay, God, I'm not entirely sure how this is going to work. Logically, this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you with it. You get real vulnerable real fast. So when I, when I think about places in my life where I am the most vulnerable, um, like for me, it's, it's singing. Um, 
I think I am tone deaf. I was informed between services that I'm not tone deaf, I'm just tone dumb. And implying that I could be taught how to sing. But, but when I, like, I would rather do almost anything than sing in public. I hate it. Like, it makes me sick to my stomach. And so when I sing, I have very specific conditions uh, that I need to have to be able to do it. And so, like, the first, and this is easy, I need to be alone. If I'm alone, I will rock out. And I think I sound pretty good when I'm alone, right? Like, it's awesome. Uh, or if I have my kids with me, I trust them. I'll ground them if they tell anybody. Like, so no big deal, so I'll, I'll sing there. Um, the second kind of condition, if I'm put in a situation where I'm expected to sing, like here, like, as as pastor, as a pastor here, I feel like I should lead the example in worship. And so as much as I don't really like it, not that I don't like to sing, as much as I don't like to sing because I I hate the way I sound, I will do it, but I have conditions that have to be met. Like you'll notice that every week I sit right there. There is no rule that says the pastor has to sit right here in the front row. I can sit anywhere I want to. I choose to sit there because I know if I'm there, there is no one in front of me to hear me sing. I don't sit right here because I don't want to mess up Austin up here. So I sit to the side. And then I'm confident that my voice projects to the wall. I get credit for worshiping. You guys see me and say, well, Pastor Aaron's worshiping, so I'll worship too, and everything's good to go. I create levels of protection around me because I hate singing in public. So I'm going to do something to illustrate where God is asking us to go. Play, play audio clip number four here, real quick. So, so, that's me singing. But, I've created la- layers of protection around me. I sound really good when all you hear is Maddie. That's awesome. Like, I sound really good when you lower my voice and you elevate everything else. I, you know what? And actually, I feel safe and I feel comfortable. I have no issues playing that for you. I'm good. But, but what happens if we start peeling back the layers of protection and safety and security? Play, play the second clip. That's... It's a little bit harder, but still. And for the most part, we hear Madison. We hear the instruments. We hear the music. And so I guess I'm okay with that. We go to the third clip, and things start to get really uncomfortable for me. Oh, I want to puke. I run these things by the team. Their job is to tell me when something is stupid or not. This is one of those instances where they drop the ball. (laughs) So I start removing the layers of protection back, and I find myself, again, just more and more exposed, unsure. And yet God asked me to take it a step further. Christ be magnified. Stop. So here's the deal. Here's, here's the point. Here's the point. 
Like, like that, that, when I got to that place in that moment, when I ripped away all the layers of protection, when I put myself out there and I'm vulnerable and I say, you know what, God, this is ridiculous and I don't know what you're gonna do with it, but I'm gonna trust you, God, and I step out and remove all that, that's when God uses us. And the same thing happens to us financially. Like when, when we get the check at the beginning of the month, we get what God has given us, and we decide, you know what, God, like, like things are just tough right now. And so I, I'm gonna create layers of protection around me. And you know what, God, like I, I'll probably end up giving the same amount at the end of the month that I would have given here, but I need you to give me some more time. I need you to give me some more time. And you create layers. Like, like my singing in clips one through four, it was the same but I had layers of protection around me that made me feel more comfortable. God says, stop it. He says, trust me. Give me not, not even your best. I don't, I don't even care at this point if it's your best. Just give me, give me what's first and watch what I do with it. Watch how I take it. Watch how I shape you. Watch how I change you. We talk I talk about um, the blessings that come from, from giving God your first fruits. And you've all heard it before, I'm certain. Give God, give God your first 10%, and then he will absolutely bless the remaining 90%. And I, I agree he'll do it. But I think we, I think we, we set our expectations differently than how God intends it to be. So I, I don't necessarily think that God takes the 90% and multiplies it and somehow makes $1, $2. Well, I think that's possible. What I think happens is when the first decision that we make with the thing that is most important in our lives, that is money, that gives us security and safety, when the first decision we make around that is based on our faith and trust in God, then every decision we make after that is impacted by it. It's a trickle-down effect. You trust God. When you trust God with the first 10, you begin to look to him on how to spend the remaining 90. It changes everything. It changes everything. When we, when we say, with, with the thing that we value more than almost anything else in this world, we say, God, I'm, I'm going to put it at your feet. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to give you this 10. And then every decision I make after that with my 90 will be based from that. And so the question is, as, I, as I studied and I processed and I'm, I'm reconciling how to, how to preach this sermon in my life is where do I rank God? What priority do I put on him? Am I asking him to be a part of my life? Am I asking to, to, to play a portion of my life? Or, or, am I asking him to be first? How you answer that changes everything. Everything. We're going to sing one more song. 
I'm going to, worship team, go ahead and come on up. And it's a song that, that I am certain, unless you were here first service, you have never heard this song before because it is an original song. Uh, Madison uh, Danforth actually wrote it, and, and we were talking about kind of this upcoming series, and she said, hey, I wrote a song that, that maybe would fit. Are you interested in it? And I listened to it, and I'm like, that absolutely would fit. And the song kind of depicts and tells the story of one of my most favorite people in all the New Testament. It's, it's Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And so if you, you know anything about Mary, like, like she is someone who just continually put Jesus first. She wasn't perfect. She didn't have it all figured out but she was willing to put Jesus first. And in one of the instances uh, where Jesus was hanging out with his friends, he was eating supper, she comes in, she barges in, and she takes this thing that she valued, that was important to her, that this, this alabaster jar of perfume, and she just breaks it at his feet. It's a year's worth of wages. And she said, you know what, God? Like, I'm gonna trust you with this. I don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I'm not even entirely sure this makes a whole lot of sense, but you know what? I'm gonna trust you with it. I want to see what, you, what you'll do in my life. That's the story in this song. And so I would invite you to stand as we worship one more time.